the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 218 for September 14th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to September. John, do you believe that this is our first show in uh, September and we're almost halfway through it? What are we doing here? I, I remember every week I do this, but uh, I can't quite recall why I'm here. <laughs> yes. Hello, everybody. Uh, we, we are both Dave and I took a well-deserved vacation in various parts of the country and we are back. So I am only kidding. Yes, we remember how to podcast. And boy, do we have just a boatload of things. You know, you say about. we remember how to podcast. I'm going to explicitly go and check and make sure I'm actually recording this, which I am, which is good because <laughs> we've been known to not do that from time we, to time. No, that's that's you. I can't <laughs> I, guess, I can't press the big record button. I guess Only that's you me. Can, you have that power. That's right. I got the power. And maybe uh, Pete, we, we should designate him a backup for that. I guess we can. He, we he can, is the button observer. He can he can take the blame. But Pete's not here tonight. Pete's uh, off doing other things. So it is just the two of us, uh, which is nice from, you know, uh, from time to time. Back to the uh, the old way of doing things here. And uh, we have all kinds of stuff to go through. It's been a crazy two weeks, right? Snow Leopard came out uh, and then we, we did the last show and then off we went on our, our various travels. And then another version of Snow Leopard came out, right? We've seen an update to uh, Snow Leopard. A minor yeah, minor update, right. which in my case worked great. In your case, the, there were some issues. Uh, all right. I guess there were. We can talk about that. Uh, iPhone 3.1 came out. New iPods came out. New iTunes came out. But let's get into the meat of what it is we do here and go through some. Uh, we've got a ton of cool stuff found uh, in the list, John. We've got uh, all kinds of tips that, that uh, you folks found and shared with us. And then we've got some questions. So we'll do that. And then toward the end, we'll talk about uh, the, the new stuff that Apple has laid upon us and then maybe uh we'll uh we'll talk about our travels and any uh any cool oh, we'll stuff talk about the there. travels then because oh man i was just so ready to talk about some things during my travels oh we'll, we'll get to it yeah let's just let's get right into the the meat of the show here Go. so um it, we talked recently john in snow leopard there is uh location services or core location or some technology that allows your mac only using wi-fi to uh to determine its location and we surmised that this was being done with the help of skyhookwireless.com's uh wi-fi service what they do is they've gone around and indexed every access point that they can drive near and they find the mac address of the access point so the name can change and it doesn't matter but as long as the mac address is the same they're happy they find the mac address and associate it to a gps location or use gps to associate it to a, a you know longitude and latitude right innocent enough on the surface that we'll, yeah. we'll get to that later but yeah they're collecting now i i don't think they're doing anything special i think by nature most access points even ones where you say don't send out your name yeah, they still occasionally respond to a query. And I guess this may right. be where, you know, there's some ethics, but is that OK? But but they're not doing anything sinister. I don't think. Right. They're, they're so so they have two this, pieces of data. But they uh, but I, I as I mentioned on the show, I went in. I said, find my location. It said, you have to turn airport on. I turned airport on. It said, we can't figure out where you are. 
And uh, so I went into skyhookwireless.com and we'll put a we'll put a link to this because there's a place where you can submit your own access point. And so I did. I went in and I actually have four radios here at the house, two in in my Mm -hmm. Linksys router. And then I've got uh, my time capsule and then the airport extreme. So I went to all of them. I got their Mac addresses and I gave them, you know, GPS coordinates that that essentially let people, you know, triangulate and send bombs to my house. Right. So, so they were they relied on you to provide both the MAC address and what you claim is the correct coordinates, so correct. GPS coordinates. OK, just yep. and so I did that and I did that on September 8th, which was last week at some point. It was uh, Tuesday, I guess, or something. Yeah, it would have been Tuesday. And I checked today uh, and that was the first time I had checked. And sure enough, it worked. So, you know. On the morning of the 8th, I went in. It, my machine would not find where it was. I went and entered my data into Skyhook. And sure enough, less than a week later, boom, everything is uh, is up and in the system. And it immediately found me, uh, which tells me that they, that's what they're doing. And that's all that they're doing. They're not looking anywhere else, um, as far as I can tell. So uh, if you want to do this, it's very simple. Uh, you just go to this this website, Skyhook Wireless, and, and there's a place where you can submit. You put it in. Uh, they send you an email so that they've got an email address associated with the submission. You have to go through and confirm, and then boom, you are, uh, you're you're good to go. And within a week, usually your uh, your access point or points will be listed. Okay. Let, let me ask, do they do a CAPTCHA or something mm-hmm. to prevent automated submission? Okay. They good. do. They uh, do. You know, I'm putting on my... Mm-hmm. Used to be a security guy hat and just thinking, right. how would you screw this thing up? Well, well and then they also bogus data. Well, and they also make sure that uh, that you have an email address associated with it. So presumably, yes. you know, and you have to confirm from the email that you get. So presumably, if they see a bunch of bogus data, they can you know track it down to an email address and say, all right, get rid of it. Right. But but that's easy enough to fake. There's free email now, service. Let me the, the question that came to my mind and you may have imagined I would ask this. What if you are in that database and you do not want to be? For example, in my workplace, we have wireless access, as many enterprises do, but it's we do not beacon the name. It's kind of a inside. Sure, you got to know the name of the network to start. <clears throat> then you need a excuse me a corporate ID, um, which is unique to each user. But the thing is, how uh, some of ours and it kind of surprises me on one side of our building, which is closer to a public road. It shows up if I do location on my iPod Touch, which, of course, is only exclusively Wi-Fi. Okay, right, um, right, of course. Another part of the building where it's closer to where you cannot be driving around legally anyways and uh, picking up that data, it does not register. But my concern is what if you are a, you know, no such agency or just somebody that doesn't want this data out there? As I mentioned before, it, it, it appears to be innocuous and that they're just associating two pieces of data, but... What if you don't want to be in there? And I could not find a clear answer. I even went to Yahoo Answers when I asked the question, and we know that they're just a, a fountain of accurate. <laughs> well, they often are pretty. I've found them actually pretty accurate. No, but um, yeah, okay. Maybe there's a meme enough. out there. Um, how is Babby formed? I don't know if you've seen that on Yahoo no. Answers. I'll link to it. It's, it's okay. hilarious, but it's an example of data that is uh, very inaccurate. But anyways, no, but it's funny. It's, it's not. Anyways, um, so that's my question is how... Can you get pulled out of the database? And, and I still you, you have seen e- the answer, the, the short answer to, to move things along, because we have a lot to go through. The go. short answer is you email them at support at skyhookwireless.com and explain what, you. what's going on. So, yeah, that's Moving how you on. get out. Yeah. 
Go. All right. Uh, Brad wrote in a uh, very interesting thing. I'm not sure what's going on with my throat, but uh, it sounds like I'm Peter Brady here. Um, Brad wrote in and said, hi, guys, here's something I found useful. If you look at your system profiler under software and then extensions, you'll see what extensions are 32 bit and what extensions are 64 bit. This is helpful. If you are planning on rebooting into 64 bit mode, you'll know which extensions won't work. So, and he's right. Uh, just like you can with applications, you can go into uh, system preferences where you can get uh, from your applications utilities folder, or you can go to about this Mac and go to more info, which brings up the same app, go down to software, twist the little triangle open. If it's not already Click extensions and you will get a column that says 64-bit Intel. And uh, you can even sort by that column to lump all of the non-64-bit stuff, i.e. those with no in that column together, which uh, which will be very handy, especially as, as we migrate further and further down the path with Snow Leopard. At some point, Apple is going to make the kernel 32-bit, uh, th- sorry, the kernel 64-bit by default. And uh, at that point, you know, you'll want to make sure you have all 64 bit extensions. Yep. Now, John, I hear you grumbling over there. There's there's something I'm well, missing. I'm not, I'm not I'm not grumbling, but I'm I'm going to have to deliver the smack down here. OK, because um, uh, you made a claim. And, and, and I think uh, uh, Brad did as well is saying that whatever you see in that uh, system profile that's 32 bit will not work in 64 bit. Mm-hmm. And you said that was correct. It's not entirely correct. How do I know this? Yeah. Asks Dave. How do you know this, John? And <laughs> You did the context switch. If you boot your machine, such as my MacBook Pro, which does have a 64-bit processor, it's a Core 2 Duo, mm-hmm. and you look in System Profiler under Extensions, guess what? Everything appears as 64-bit Intel. Yes. Now, isn't that weird? You well, say. and I will tell you why. Ready? Yeah. Not everything. So, so it's partially correct in that some things made it over and some things did not. So, for example, I'm going to give you a list of some of the things that I saw that did not appear as 64-bit mode and some things that did, but under a different name. So, for example, okay. I had one called Ambrosia Audio Support. Yes. That did not make it. But something called BSD Kernel 6.0, which appeared... Yes. The 32-bit extensions as a 32-bit is now just called BSD kernel, and it is now a 64-bit. So what I'm suggesting right. is that it is a tool to help guide you as to some things that may not make it over, but it's not a guarantee that anything listed that's 32-bit will not make it over. I think I think the, the safe bet here is uh, anything that's not written by Apple and you can yes. look to see if Apple has written it because you're right there there. I think by definition, there have to be 32 bit only extensions that are part of the core kernel when they load and, and the system, when you boot the 64 bit kernel, well then it loads the 64 bit version of those things, which it doesn't let the 32 bit kernel see. Otherwise you'd have a 64 bit kernel, right? I mean, it, there need to be core components that are kept out of this. And I'm exactly. sure, Right. And I agree with you, but I did not find a way within the utility, at least this right. utility, to list whether it was an Apple or a non-Apple. Oh, yeah, you can. Extensions. I didn't find a way to get that column listing. I was, I was It's not a column listing, but if you look at the information for that extension, it will tell you. All right, because I see the info window and it has, you know, version less modified, blah, blah, blah. And you're saying the... Ah. Well, where I found it was the finders get info window. Okay. 
Uh, and right. it definitely so what I'm saying shows is you the manufacturer there. Yes. So uh, find, ignore the ones that are Apple, right? They will take care of themselves. Look after the ones that are third right. party, like the Ambrosia one. That's a perfect example. You know, if you're doing anything audio uh, from Ambrosia, like wiretap or anything like that, yeah. uh, we need to wait another, a 64 bit uh, or another. I found version. Cisco VPN was one that just did not appear mm-hmm. when I booted into 64 bit mode. And I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> uh, if it doesn't work, which it won't. Right. I'm confident. So so just to, to scratch the surface is so so Brad's advice is is excellent. It, it, the only exception is system stuff where it's smart enough to switch it in. And and unfortunately there's no one place you can get all that data. That's right. Right. That's right. Yep. Oh, uh, that was that was good. Yep. I, I I'm gonna bounce around a little bit here. We'll come back to yeah. this this iPod thing. Um Another thing, so we talked about this, and in the last two weeks, it has changed. Menu meters, uh, which is a favorite utility of John and I, uh, of John, of mine and John's. God, my grammar not working. There's something wrong with my head tonight, Your grammar John. could. Yeah, thanks. Um, it was not capable of being run on a 64-bit capable Snow Leopard machine. Uh, but that has changed. There is a, a new beta version out that works and seems to work just fine and runs just great. But there's also a version now of iStat menus, which is something that does something very similar. Another app that does something very similar to menu meters and what they both do in case you've uh, only just started listening to this show uh, because we talk about these a lot is in your menu bar. They put very handy real time uh, status monitors one is uh, for the cpu so you can see if your cpu or cpus depending on how you have it set up are being overused or there's something going on you can watch your network activity you can watch your hard drive activity and you can monitor your ram Um, the istat menu which is the the alternative to menu meters also has a temperature monitor and a calendar thing that uh, that you can mess with too so i figured you know i'll try it i had tried istat menus years ago john and I didn't like it at the time. Menu meters would cause about a 3% CPU load on whatever Mac it was I had. And iStat menus were about, uh, took three times that, that CPU space. So, you know, we were up about 10% uh, of the CPU constantly being eaten up by, uh, by iStat. And I thought, well, that's just simply too much. So, you know, back to menu meters, I went, I yeah. didn't even give it a chance. Well, now it's the, the same ratio is true, but we're talking about, you know, 0.5% of my CPU for menu meters and, uh, you know, about one and a half to two for uh, iStat menus. So that's certainly well within what I would consider uh, it doesn't matter range. And uh, <laughs> and on two of my three machines, I'm now running iStat menus. And I have to say, I, I actually like it. Um, the, I, I don't like the fonts that they use to display data in the menu bar. I think they're a little bold. But the data that's displayed, especially when you click on a menu and get a drop down, um, one thing that's really cool is in iStat menus, when you click on the, the, the CPU usage, it shows you the top five apps uh, in terms of what's using the CPU now. So if you see your CPU is pegged, you can just click on the menu and instantly tell, ah, what's chewing up all my CPU. The same is true of RAM. It shows you the top five uh, uh, offenders when it comes to uh, to RAM, so you can look and see, oh, gosh, Safari, you know, it's using 500 megs. I better quit and relaunch that. You know, that's crazy. Uh, and I have to say, 
Uh, although it may be feeding my OCD or as we like to say, CDO, <laughs> which is OCD in, in alphabetical order like it should be. Uh, the temperature monitor may be a little too much food for that. But uh, but right now I'm still liking seeing where my my CPU core temperatures are. And then, of course, you can click on the menu and see every temperature uh, for every sensor in your computer, including, you know, hard drive sensors and GPU sensors and all that crazy stuff. So uh, on two of the machines, I'm liking iStat menus. So uh, we'll see if it sticks around. But for now, I like it and it's free. So, you know, it, it's uh, it's harmless to go in and check out. Okay, and actually, I use them uh, though in the dashboard context, mm-hmm. in that they have a uh, iStat Pro uh, widget. Which, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look at that from time to time. But but I'm still on menu meters. They had their 1.4 beta one, I think, which, mm-hmm. as far as I can see, it, rock solid. I, I haven't seen anything break due to it in the console or any any apps crashing. Right. So uh, so I'm happy. Uh, but I may look at it. Just you know, yeah, take a look. A couple of shows ago, at least it feels like it was a couple. It might have been the last show. Uh, we were talking about a Windows issue where a PDF was created and then sent to Windows people and it didn't work. And I believe Derek has. Hi, an Dave and John and Pete. Uh, Derek from Edinburgh here. Longtime reader, first time caller. Uh, I was just calling with a point on the question in the previous podcast about the chap whose client is having trouble with jaggy text in um, PDF files. It may be as basic as the the setting for the display with... um, the text smoothing, you can set it for the type of monitor you're using and uh, basically switch the smoothing off and on. Uh, we've certainly had that problem with clients of ours in the past and uh, found that that was the thing that fixed it. Hopefully it is, and uh, this has been of some use. Anyway, keep up the good work. Uh, I really enjoy the podcast. You may want to disconnect me now. All right. Thanks, Derek. So that's uh, that, that, I think that's a brilliant solution, John. Are you, are you with me, John? I'm with you, but I'm trying to find it. Hello? No luck, huh? You can't find it? No. All right. Well, where's it at? <laughs> that's that's uh, perhaps an exercise for the listener. Okay. Yeah, I'll find it later. Okay, cool. We'll, 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 once we find it, we'll mention it in the next show. But, uh, but it is there. We trust Derek that he, uh, he is not intentionally leading us astray. Um, all right, let's look at this. Uh, we'll stick in the cool stuff found category. Honor wrote in and said, I wanted to share a neat little thing that I stumbled upon. It's called secrets. It's at secrets.blacktree.com. And it's a database of all kinds of neat secret preferences laid down in a very nice way. It's also got a prep pane that will let you see this stuff right there. In system preferences. Now, John, you checked this out and you found uh, something very cool about it and then something that was sort of disappointing, right? Okay, back up. Sorry. Secrets. Oh, secrets. So the good news, secrets, now the cool thing, and I have it as a prep pane, secrets uh, looks to be a dynamically updated, I think Google actually hosts the uh, open source project. Secrets is this huge database of all sorts of little well, secrets <laughs> in the OS itself, you know, to activate all sorts of features that you normally can't get at. Um, I guess, you know, it's not a big disappointment, but what happens, and this is something that you may notice if you've upgraded to Snow Leopard, uh, at least on, on my machine here, uh, when I click on it, it says, to use secrets preference pane, system preferences must quit and reopen. 
And if you've seen this, you may be thinking, what's up with that? And the thing is, is that it's realizing, because after you click and you say yes, what it's basically doing is restarting system preferences. And now, for example, I'm looking at its secrets. In parentheses, it says 32-bit. So that is a 32-bit or whatever, uh, some part of that pref pane is 32 bits. So uh, that's why you have to do that reload. Because I, I was kind of shocked the first time I saw it. I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Why do you have to reload? You're there. But uh, it makes it clear when you see the bit thing on the top of the uh, the window. But, uh, you know, on the left column of the, the app, when you start it up, it shows you all secrets and then, you know, system-specific secrets uh, for, you know, system, address book, uh, pretty much any app that has something that's uh, interesting to do, this has it uh, right at your fingertips, except cool. it's 32-bit. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, one little tip. We got quite a few emails this week uh, about people saying, look, ever since I upgraded to Snow Leopard, every time I launch Firefox, it launches in the background, meaning its window appears behind whatever the previously active app window was, and it's driving me crazy. Well, yeah. Michael called in with the answer. Hey, gentlemen, this is Michael calling from Chicago. Uh, love the show. I want to thank you for answering. I called, I emailed in with the, uh, the, the, the question of uh, hierarchy a couple weeks ago about uh, between Ethernet and Wi-Fi, and thanks for answering my question. Mm-hmm. And uh, I apologize for the quote experts. You guys are experts. Oh, you're the expert today, I, Michael. Uh, I think I replied in an email to you guys. I just want to call with a quick Snow Leopard bug that I've discovered. Um, I'm running the latest version of Firefox, and I noticed that uh, whenever I open Firefox, it always opens up in the background, meaning that it's not the window is not brought to the front. And I did some poking around online and had a tough time trying to word it correctly so I could find a pertinent answer. Uh, but I discovered it on a, a Google page, uh, some group, that growl is the issue. Uh, and you know, I, I held off from installing Growl, but I installed Adium, which is a, a chat program. And I think somehow I, Growl comes very much suggested, at least, when you install uh, Adium, and I think it got installed through that. So uh, I deleted that and found that that was the issue. So uh, definitely, if you're a big Firefox user and you're having that issue where the window's not popping to the front when you open it, Stay away from Growl until the next version. And I think there's some information on the on the Growl website about it, but uh, I don't know specifically if they mentioned this bug, but just to wait off and hold off with uh, Snow Leopard. So thank you, gentlemen, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing the show soon. Bye. You, you bet. Thanks, Michael. And uh, and I confirm that it does uh, that that is the issue. I also tried going into the Growl Pref Pane, John, and unchecking yes. the. Firefox and the list of applications thinking, well, if mm-hmm. Growl wasn't going to, you know, pay attention to Firefox, then maybe it would fix. But no, it, it, it's not. Right. It, that's not it. Yeah. So it, it's it, a bug. It's now, a bug. the earlier oh, question, yeah. follow up. It is in the appearance system preference pane. This setting on the bottom of ah. it, font, font smoothing. I was just because I knew it was somewhere, but I was, yeah. it, it's not in displays. And I think that's what was said. Got it. It's a logical place to put it. And I think actually on Windows machines that, that that's sometimes where it is. And I think that's what he was talking about, right? It was on the Windows right. machines because that's where the issue was. But yeah, if you, okay, if I, guess you I, to- I was trying to figure it to do it on the Mac and on the Mac on the appearance system preference font smoothing style. And you can choose from a whole bunch of things and then turn off text smoothing for font sizes whatever and smaller. So uh, the, that would be the corresponding place. Yeah. That. And you're, you're right. Me. That is in, it's in displays and I think advanced on, uh, on oh. windows. Oh you, yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I, I think, I, I think so. 
Like it's, it's in the, the the rightmost tab if me, if memory serves. So, but it, it might be okay. it might be failing me. All right. So, uh, our first Will? sponsor for this show ah, is yes. uh, Barebones with Yojimbo. Now, uh, you've all heard me talk about Yojimbo before. I like talking about Yojimbo. I use Yojimbo. In fact, I'm using it right now uh, to manage the the audio and and uh, text comments for the show. Yojimbo is an organizer. It's a place to throw everything. Barebones says there is it's so simple. There is no learning curve. And that's true. Uh, the, the learning curve is understanding why you would use it. And then once you get that, then there's nothing to learn. You just use it. And uh, and so for me, I dump all kinds of data in here. I can store serial numbers in here. I can store text snippets. I can store pictures and uh, I can I can store PDFs. I can store anything. And it's all in one place. I can search throughout it. It syncs with mobile me and the mobile me syncing actually works again with uh, for me with 1058 and with Snow Leopard. Uh, I had a problem. My Yojimbo store had gotten so big that uh, that with uh, previous versions of Leopard, it would time out. But I think Apple, I, actually, I don't think it has anything to do with the versions of Leopard. I think it has to do with Apple servers and they finally put more servers in place and they were eliminated the timeouts. But anyway. Yojimbo uh, stores all this data. So I prep the show down on my uh, MacBook Pro downstairs. I throw all the PDFs in of the emails that people write in. I build the agenda and I just drag the audio files, MP3s, AACs, AIFFs, whatever it is. I drag them right in line in the text and I play them right there. And uh, and it, it just works. And I have all this data there, not just Mac Geek Gab stuff, but pretty much anything I'm doing. And it syncs everywhere uh, to all three of my Macs, which is awesome. Yojimbo 2 came out, I believe, last week, uh, certainly since the last time we did a show here. And there's a couple of things that are different. There is a new quick input panel uh, that allows you to set flags when uh, it comes in. You can set labels right there and you can even type comments in. Uh, So right there in the quick input panel as you're kind of dragging stuff in and, and adding things. There's new PDF workflows, meaning when you go to the uh, print dialog and you have the PDF menu, there's there's better PDF workflows because now with those, you can set the name, the tags and label them uh, however you'd like. Uh, now there is in Yojimbo 2 a combined tag and label editor, which allows you to see all the tags. You can rename tags and you can even see what tags are most related out there. So this is Yojimbo 2. Of course, there is a free trial available at barebones.com. And I believe that's 30 days long. And then once, you, uh, once you've decided to buy, the price is 39 bucks for an individual license. That allows you to use it on multiple computers for one person. Uh, so that's 39 bucks. If you want to do a family license, which allows up to five users on multiple computers. Uh, that's 69 bucks and educational. Uh, the educational individual license is 29. Uh, and I believe the upgrade, if you own a prior version of Yojimbo, uh, if you bought it after January, essentially if you bought it anytime in 2009, it's free. If you bought it before 2009, it's 20 bucks. So all this at barebones.com. Go ahead and uh, check it out. I, I swear by it, and they, uh, that's not something they pay me to say, but I would say it anyway. So thank you very much for sponsoring the show, and thanks for uh, checking out our sponsors. Um, okay, let's, let's jump back to, uh, to this iPod thing, because it, we got a lot of feedback on this, too. We talked last week, or whenever. We, we didn't talk last week, John. Actually, we, I can... Last I can, month? Last, no, we talked no. last month. Thank you. 
uh, about some iPods, newer iPods will not charge or at least not happily connect over a connector that identifies itself as being a firewire type connector. And we got a bunch of comments about this. Uh, I'm going to share one from Mr. X here, John, that uh, sort of explains a little bit. And then one from David that explains a great solution. The one that we were stumbling on, but, but David wasn't the only one there was, it, it would be like the Mickey mouse club. We'd have to run through a jillion names uh, to thank all of you individually. I was, I was <laughs> but, just there. That's right. You were. We'll talk yeah. about that a little later. All right. Uh, so thank you everyone who wrote in, but uh, here we go with Mr. Regarding X. the uh, iPods and uh, the charging connectors. Well, first and second gen iPods had an actual six pin firewire port on them. I didn't have either one of those. The third-gen iPods came also came with a FireWire charge, but they had a dock connector. Uh, and I and then the fourth the fourth-gen iPods were the ones where they started adding USB, but they still had to charge over FireWire. And that was when you had those funky dock connectors that had both a FireWire and a USB end on them. Um, then starting with the fifth. Gen, e.g. the iPod with uh, video, uh, they only charged over, they, they charged, I think those ones would charge over USB, and I think at that point they dropped any connectivity over FireWire. Um, additionally, they, they've, they've done some funky things with, with wanting to have Apple uh, chips inside of certain accessories, which is... Uh, presumably part of why the old camcorder uh, AV out cable in the uh, headphone jack doesn't work anymore. Um, and, you know, some people have criticized Apple for uh, not making that so that the yellow was actually video. But I actually I checked the one that came with my camcorder out with a uh, voltmeter and found out that... Um, Actually, that second the the first the first ring, which which was video on it from a camcorder, would would be uh, the right audio signal from a uh, for a headphone. So that's that's why the the cables on the those were a little funky if you used just your standard VCR one. All right, so that 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 discussion kind of moves on to into some other things, but that explains where we came with, with firewire versus USB. And now the, the solution, if you've got a newer device trying to connect to an older charging adapter. Hi, it's David from England here, uh, from the, I confess I'm a geek, uh, podcast, uh, just reference to your show. Number two, one, six, we had a guy had problems charging up a three G iPhone in his Mercedes. There is indeed a gadget that you can buy. It's made by Scosche. S-C-O-S-C-H-E, and it's called the Scosh Passport. It's sold at the Apple Store online and uh, in-store as well for $30 or £20. Uh, solves this issue as well as issues with Audis and BMWs as well. So you can use your iPhone and it charges up while you're using it in the car. Great little gadget, bought one for myself. Uh, this is where you cut me off. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks, David. So that that is the answer, is the, the Scoshi or Scoshi Passport. So... Uh, definitely worth checking out. And I think uh, you and Michael, Michael had put that a link to that uh, device in the AAC uh, enhanced version when he did it. So thank you, Michael and John, you put it in the show notes weeks ago, but, uh, but good to mention it here in the show for everyone that mm -hmm. uh, 
that doesn't pay attention to that stuff. There, I like the XPAL Power XP2. Oh, no, we'll talk about that later. Go ahead and talk about it now. It's fine. I'm right? going to talk about it now because okay, so this was one uh, accessory I brought on my trip, and I'm glad I did. Um, XPAL Power XP2000. What is it? It's basically a portable battery. Yeah. The nice thing is that you can charge it off of USB, like your computer. It's made by Energizer, um, right? Yeah, Energizer is part. It's not clear to me because they call it XPAL Power, but I think Energizer is the contributor, at least, of the battery technology okay. and the rabbit and all that fun stuff. So, um, But basically, it's a portable battery, and it holds multiple charges for multiple devices. The nice thing is that it has an adapter cable for the output that has, at least in my case, which is perfect, a, con- a mini-USB connector that works on uh, the Motorola Crazer phone and an iPod connector that works on my iPod Touch because I forgot to bring my cable. And if you don't have the cable, you can't charge the iPod Touch. So an um, external battery with a, a, a adaptable cable that allows you to connect it to various different things that all would see that same what five volt exactly. charge from a from a USB port. Exactly, and the benefit is that it itself can be charged via a USB to mini USB connector like from your Mac. So if your Mac's plugged in, you can charge this battery and you can do a, uh, you can even do a pass-through thing. Got it. So it's it's just a good device to have in a pinch if you don't have any cables or power sources and you have an iPhone or a, a cellular phone and they have adapters for pretty much any device. I think they, it depends on the kit you get. They include different ones. Sure. But in this case, they included the most common, which I just wish, you know, as a, a little tangent, every cell phone would use mini USB to charge things and not require a driver like Motorola. Though this thing gets around that, which is fortunate. That's great. That's great. Cool. Moving on. Awesome. All right. Um, we might as well just go on to David here uh, and let her rip. Hi, Dave and John. David from London, UK. A uh, question regarding the malware protection in Snow Leopard. Uh, Snow Leopard is checking the downloaded files for known malware against... Uh, some sort of signature that Apple have. Um, I'm wondering if this applies to all files downloaded from all browsers. Um, I habitually use Firefox and down them all. So the question is really, is the download checking part of Safari or does it apply to all the browsers? Uh, Thanks very much for the podcast. Enjoy the shows. Thanks, David. Uh, So, John, to kind of explain what he talks about here, Snow Leopard enhances the uh, malware protection that has been available uh, on Mac OS 10, I believe since leopard, if not, if not tiger, I think it was, I think it was tiger. I think it was 10.4 that started this, you know, checking uh, stuff from the internet and alerting you to, Hey, wait a minute. You know, you've downloaded this from the internet. Are you sure you want to launch it? Uh, What snow leopard does is it adds two things. It has uh, expanded the list of apps. So to answer David's question, Yes, it's not just things from Safari anymore. Uh, it also works with uh, Internet Explorer. Really? I'm, re- I'm reading. There, there's a great article that Dan Morin did at, uh, at Macworld. We'll put a link. Uh, and it says Internet Explorer. Now, I, I have trouble believing that um, because there, I don't I'm think there's... So, a, you know, I, I am running, uh, believe it or not, Dave, on my machine. You know how I, how I am old school sometimes. Yeah. I have IE on my Snow Leopard machine, and it runs just fine. All right. So, Internet Explorer, Firefox, OmniWeb, <laughs> Opera, Mozilla, Camino, and more. And also other email clients, uh, in, in addition to Mail, of course, Entourage, and Thunderbird. So, one thing is they expanded the apps that would be scanned, uh, who, whose downloads would be scanned, the second thing that they did, John, is uh, they added 
uh, a file quarantine virus protection ish thing. And right now, uh, again, according to this, this Macworld article, which is a great, it will be it will be or it already is the the resource to to kind of base all future work mm-hmm. on this on uh it it's looking for uh, the rs plug trojan horse and and the uh i service malware which was embedded in that uh pirated version of iwork that uh, that huh. kind of made the rounds like uh, I, I guess i remember we wrote about it at tmo too so uh but there you go so the answer david in, in short yes firefox is now just as protected as safari for what it's worth Okay, so this is an OS-level plugin. Now, it's interesting because I see this kind of related, but not as mature as the feature, which I think is Safari and Firefox. I don't know if they share the same database, but you may have seen this uh, or not. But if you go to some sites, it'll say, warning, this site has been reported as being bad for whatever reason. I I think it's a Google... That's a Safari-only thing. That's a Safari-only. Okay, but but it sounds like something... uh, I thought Google is maintaining the database. It it is. It's a Safari-only thing that uses Google's database, yeah. Yeah. Saying, okay, th- this site has been reported and, and you can actually get a very detailed report. Although that- I think, so I think it's also built into Firefox, but it, it doesn't use, right? it, it, it uses the, a, a Firefox way of managing that as opposed to Apple's way of managing it. But I think okay. they're both based on the same Google database. So it, it six of one, half a dozen of the other. Okay. I guess I just wanted to observe that because it, it sounds very yep. cool to me that you're incorporating or you could incorporate this sort of security, either bogus websites or malware at, at a lower level than the browser itself. And it sounds like right now, at least in the browser, certain things are in the browser and they go to the same place. Right. But right. Again, I think it's very cool. I mean, system wide, you know, not application specific security and malware is, uh, well, something yeah. I'd like to see. So, so John, I think we, based on the email and, and feedback that we've gotten, I think we might be single handedly. And that's sort of a weird thing to say. We single handedly, mm-hmm. but we'll leave it at that. Uh, maybe single handedly responsible for uh, significantly increasing the purchase of SSD drives out there. And uh, and Will writes in <laughs> all your talk of SSDs over the past couple of months on the Geek Gab has led me to my purchase of one last week. You're in good hands, Will. You're in good company, Will. Uh, we have jackets. Uh, anyway, I wanted to know if you had any thoughts mm-hmm. on how to go about optimizing or maintaining it on Mac OS X. There are several articles out there about optimizing for various flavors of Windows, but nothing that I can find for the Mac. After a cursory look, it seems to me that a lot of the disk tool programs like Tech Tool Pro and Drive Genius not only wouldn't help, but might even hurt depending on what you're doing. Also, I'm thinking about going back and splurging on one of the new Intel SSDs, 80 gigabytes, and then replacing my optical drive with a two and a half inch hard drive via MCE's OptiBay harness. Any ideas on how to best allocate my data between the two to optimize performance when I need it and when I don't? Uh, and and to be fair, Will followed up and he did, in fact, go ahead and, and make that second purchase. So he is now a double SSD kind of guy. So Wow. Uh, so let's answer yeah. the, the first question first, because that's the a first nice question, order. Dave. Do you have the tune queued up? No, you don't. <laughs> I don't. That would have been a good oh, one. Though. Man. Go ahead and sing it for All us, right. John. Well, basically the tune is Don't touch this. It, it, SSD drives uh, here's my, here's my quick opinion. SSD drives fundament, uh, operate in a fundamentally different fashion as far as what a sector means versus where it is physically on the device because in this case you're not talking a circular platter. You're talking a memory chip, basically. So uh, all the things that are taken into account when you're trying to lay out data um, on a hard drive to make it more efficient just doesn't apply to 
a solid state drive because it's not physical. It's, it's, it's electronic. It's, it's kind of virtual. So if, and I would agree, if you're going to do something that assumes, oh, well, now, now first I would assume that the, some of the utilities would be smart enough if they go to the device and say, oh. okay, how many cylinders and heads do you have? It would say, you know, I just, I don't know. They would say, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what device I'm talking to. You're not a hard drive. I'm really not going to mess with you. So, so that would be one thing is kind of th- thinking like a developer I would just check for. Or say, are you, you going to I'm going to try that. with. Uh, I have not tried it with Drive Genius's optimized tool, but I, I am going to try it. I'm not going to let it run the optimiza- optimization because, as you just right. said, John, that is the worst. If you want to pick the worst thing that you can do to an SSD, that's it. And and the reason well, maybe, is... Maybe not worse, but it, well, it, it's a bad use of your time and the device's time. Because well, you gonna, have limited write cycles, right? Yes, I, I agree I, with you there. It's so burn... It, yeah, you have resources. you have a, a finite amount of of write cycles before the device starts to stop accepting writes. It reads are fine pretty much forever, but we'll 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 stipulate that, right? But it you know, uh, but writes are limited. Now it's not you're not going to run into it, you know, after a no, week. They're like hundreds of thousands, but right. still over the lifetime of the device, you, you don't yeah. want to. And and a defrag is just constantly reading and writing little bits of data all over creation. It's the abs to me, it's the absolute worst thing you could do. Um, but you know, John, as far as maintenance goes, uh, I would not do an optimization. Uh, I'm also a little worried about Apple's hot files management, right? I mean, it's only moving small now, files around, but still I'm going to think because it's somewhat sensitive to, I thought it was sensitive to the part of the drive it put things mm. on. So again, I'm going to assume an intelligence saying, you know, this isn't a hard drive, or at least the, the hard drive that I'm used to talking to. So I'm just not going to try it. And I, my hope. assumption may be wrong here. Yeah. Um, but the other but thing, though, I, 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 I'll say this and then I'll let you go. What I would say is doing uh, directory maintenance, i.e. doing a, uh, a, a verify disk in disk utility or repair disk in disk utility, uh, that doesn't fix the disk. It fixes the directory or the table of contents of the disk, right? We've talked about this before. What what happens is you have the, the list of all the files and folders that are out there on the drive. And as you remove things and add things, that list becomes, it starts out kind of like a tree and it, it starts out very orderly. As you start pulling things on and off the drive, uh, it, it, the you know the branches wind up getting intertwined it you know it becomes like a, a crazy little bush and and sometimes things don't point where they're supposed to they get messed up and so fixing that stuff that has nothing to do in my opinion with what kind of media you're on that needs right. to be maintained so you know doing <laughs> a, a disc uh, drive disc warrior or uh, drive genius repair uh, directory that to me is, is still something you want to do, you know, once every couple of months. So, but go ahead, John. Yeah. Um, where was I going? SSDs. Let's see. Uh, (laughs) Ah, I'm sorry. Okay. The one point is that on some drives, like the Intel drives I read up on, there is one thing you can do, at least at this point, they're working on this where you, I think you can do a full secure, total delete of the drive to bring it back to a, a totally virgin state. Now, sure. we've talked about this before. In general, SSDs, once you've gotten through an entire write cycle where every cell in the memory of the drive has been hit, eventually you're going to suffer a, a small degradation. And they really try, and, and that's why I think we're talking about not 
trying to do optimization. The drive already has something called write leveling and some other algorithms that really try to spread the data out and the, the read and write cycles in a fashion where there's not a spike at any point on any cell. Because as you pointed out, we both pointed out, Dave, the, the cell's not so much reading, but writing. You can only write a certain amount of time. So it's already taken care of. The drive knows what to do. So uh, my advice is, uh, unless you really want to reset to day one and, and squeak out a couple of percent, which uh, to me, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. Um, let the drive do its thing. Do not run optimization. Hopefully, they will be smart enough eventually to say, I'm on an SSD. Either they come up with a brilliant new algorithm, because there is talk of selective uh, erases. As we've talked before, there's a disparity between the read and the write size, and, and, and normal optimization don't, doesn't work now. But there is talk of, of giving greater control over what you can read and write, the granularity of that. So there may be op- optimizations down the road um, that, that you, you know, traditional utilities take care of. But at this point, as we said, don't touch this. Just let the drive do its thing. All right. So uh, it, Will followed up and, and asked, what should how should I allocate my data? And and he sent another email through, which I, I didn't uh, prep in our it's not sitting in your Jimbo. Uh, but he Ugh. he asked essentially, you know, should I put my user folder on the spindle hard drive or on the SSD drive? What about like the library folder where caches are stored and all that? Uh, what about my iTunes library? What about my iPhoto library? And to me, I, I've had great luck and and the best speed by keeping all of those cache files and everything on the SSD. Now, it does incur more rights. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm uh, impacting the, the device unnecessarily or perhaps necessarily to eke out some more performance. But. I would say for your iTunes library, definitely get it off the SSD. You don't need to take up that space with files that you're just going to read, you know, sequentially and, and play it. You know, those don't need to be read very quickly. You know, you're, you're, you're playing a file that requires 128, maybe 256 K worth of bandwidth. You know, you're not going to see any speed improvement there. So, uh, so do that. And I, I would say the same with your iPhoto library. That's going to grow very large very quickly. So go ahead and put that on the, the drive. You you probably would see a speed improvement uh, if you had that on the SSD. But uh, if you don't have the space for it, then go ahead and get it off. Uh, you know, pick the stuff that you're using all the time where there's lots of reading and writing. And, and to me, that's the, the best thing for the for the SSD, at least the SSDs that we've been okay. talking about, the higher speed ones. Yeah. Okay, not really having used them all that much. Um, I'm going to give a totally uninformed uh, viewpoint here, which uh-huh. I'm sure will be welcome. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, John. We, me, we love that. Do you want me to hit pause now? or No, no, no just kidding. You did start recording. I right? did start recording, yeah. Great. So what I would say is, is without question, the, 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 the thing that these drives do better than any, anything else is reading. Read speed is phenomenal. So... For things that you pretty much read all the time, like apps, right, or utilities, or certain folders, where for the most part, you're just loading a program or something, to me, there's no question that goes on the SSD. Now, I'll uh, toss it around with you a bit, Dave. I think it, it's due to, it, it deserves some experimentation. If you have folders that are being often read from and written to, um, I try it on both. I mean, I would sense in a lot of places. Now, you've got to balance this. Uh, as you said, iPhoto, I think I'm with that because the pictures tend to get very large, at least, you know, like, for example, my pictures are nine, nine 
uh, megapixel photos. So, uh, you know, I got like gigs and gigs. So I would agree with you where, where the amount of data um, being read versus the amount of data being occasionally written uh, where there's enough of a delta there. So uh, I would say iTunes and iPhoto and things like that, plus things that you just want to maintain right. for a while. Um I'm trying to think of, of I'm gonna, situations I'm gonna just, where you want to put it on, leave it on a hard drive if you do have a physical hard drive. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there is any one thing that you would say. Oh, definitely, don't put that on an SSD. For me, it's more about you know it. Let's face it, dollars per megabyte SSD is ridiculously expensive, right? So yes. anything that you're going to just store and archive and not access a lot. Get it the heck off of your SSD. You know, leave you leave your SSD for the stuff that you're using every day because that's where you're going to see the speed benefit. Okay. Now, so an archive, physical, yeah. you would say that archiving or a backup w- would be a role for the physical drive. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Uh, unless, I'm with you on that. unless you needed the speed, because it, you know, I'm going to disagree with your uh, your uh, your suggestion that perhaps anything that you're writing regularly, you don't want to store on the SSD for, for speed purposes. Now the SSD drives that you and uh, I have, John are at least four, t- at least three times, maybe even four times right. faster at writing. Let me, let me uh, I'm going to modify my statement. Okay. okay. Can I do that? Yeah, of well, course you can. Sure. If you say I can't, I will. Okay. Um, when you're writing large data files, movies, uh, I would say that for writing, because the one, the one downside we saw in the SSDs is writing of many teeny-weeny files. Performance is lacking at this point. So I'd say if you're writing big old files like movies and music and like, you're, you know, you're doing like we're doing here, a big, big whopping audio file. Um, in that case, I would say the SSD is clear. If you're writing a lot of little files, the SSD may be on the same level as a, as a mechanical hard. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're not going to see a whole lot of speed improvement, except that when you write or read uh, to or from a mechanical drive, and, and I don't want to beat this horse too much further, beat it, death, brother. but, but when you, when you're accessing a mechanical drive before the reading or writing can start, the drive needs to move its heads to the mm-hmm. next place where that data can be. Now it's either overriding data or it's, you know, finding a new spot that then the data starts being written right on the SSD drive. That first step essentially doesn't happen. The data can just start being right. written immediately. And that is huge. So, you know, I, I think there is still a speed benefit when writing small files to an SSD drive because you're not mm-hmm. waiting for the writing to begin. I'll agree right. with you, John. Once the writing begins, the speed's about the same for, you know, small little files, you know, 50K or less or whatever it is. Uh, but, you know, it, it does make a difference. Not ha- In fact, to me, the biggest difference you get from SSD drives is, is that, you know, essentially no seek time uh, where you're not waiting for the heads to move. Right. So. And latency and stuff like that. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to finger rag you, but I've been finger rag for this, too. Yeah. SSD drive is like saying VIN number. I know. That's all I'll say. Uh, yes, you're uh, I'm right. sorry. I've heard it. I say it. Yeah. I don't mean to corrupt well, the English language, yeah, that's but true. Uh, sometimes it just happens. So Yes. But if if I said SS drive, it would, you know, somebody would think it, I had some, you know, 50-year-old German things laying around. So I, I have to say SSD, right? <laughs> Uh, I, I don't think so. I think just, they would. I think they would. Move right along. Okay. <laughs> See? It's the same sort of thing, right? Um, Apple came out with a bunch of new stuff, and I think it's time to jump to that uh, 
that thing. You talked about the thing from your vacation, right? There was nothing else to uh, nothing to see here. Nothing else to mention. Um, very quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. So I stayed at the Omni. Very nice. Uh, Champions Gate. It's in the Orlando area. Okay. Uh, or the Reedy. The <laughs> Reedy, Reedy Creek, Creek Improvement District. Improvement District. That's right. Yep. Yes. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, so uh, here's the creepy thing that happened. So uh, I went to the Omni. It's a national chain. It's a very nice hotel. Yeah. And the friends I was traveling with had friends there. So we got like friends at Family Raider. You know, we, we, we did good. It, it, sure. was, it was more affordable than the Disney properties, which okay. can... Uh, Get pricey, but they're fun too. We we stayed in Animal Kingdom. Sure. So, anyways, get in the hotel, try to hook up to the wireless. It's just not working, even though there's supposedly free wireless on our floor um, as part of the bonus package. Sure. So, anyways, so I look in the desk and there's a hundred base T connector. I'm like, wouldn't this be sweet if this worked? And I brought my Airport Express naturally. And there we go. Uh, so I set it up, turned on security WPA two. Now the funny thing was I plugged directly, briefly into the one hundred base T connection. Dude, there were a lot of people there with Max because they were just sharing (laughs) like there was no tomorrow. I looked at my network shared and I'm like, who are all these people? And I clicked on a few and their public folder was open and there were all sorts of movies and pictures. Then I stopped, you know, the the, my conscience (laughs) kicked in saying this just ain't right. But uh, (laughs) their machines were open. So, of course, putting the Airport Express, I had a little at least a rudimentary firewall built in. So I didn't see all any of these other people or, or because it's sure and hop over the connection. So anyways, I set that up and then I griped online on Twitter and I said, yeah, I'm at the Omni and the Wi-Fi is not working within minutes. I got a, a tweet back from Omni hotel saying, Oh, if you have a problem, we can help, you know, we can send someone to your room to fix it. Now. Whoa. Oh my gosh. And then, so that was just the general Omni hotels. Uh, and I'll link to their account, of course, account. Then I got later on a tweet from a, a person that actually worked in that specific hotel. So the other was a generalized thing. Sure. Probably just getting me a call center. This was someone that worked at the place. Dude. And at one point, I mean, we missed each other, but, you know, at one point I'm like, well, we're going out to the pool. She's like, yeah, well, you know, maybe I'll come out there and, you know, meet with you guys. <laughs> um, and I had her name and I tried to meet her at the front desk. She, she was on, you know, we, we yeah. just didn't meet face to face, but it was an individual that actually contacted me. So this hotel chain gets it. Okay. That's huge. It is huge because it's almost like some of these others, uh, Comcast cares and a few others, but just uh, whoever this is, and, and I'm going to link to them, but Omni hotels, they're. A great chain, you know, they're throughout the country and in Orlando. We just, but, but just the responsiveness of these people that they almost got to the level of address and they did addressing me personally to solve a problem. Yeah, it that's was awesome. huge. That's awesome. All right. So we're talking about Twitter. We might as well talk about our contact information and, and we'll, we'll, we'll turn it around. We'll start at the top with our, our Twitter contacts and then, uh, and then we'll talk about other ways to, to chime in here at the Geek Gab and then, uh, and then we'll talk about the new stuff from Apple, uh, time permitting. How can you reach us, Dave? You so Twitter. Us. Tw- no, no, no. Oh, we Twitter. said we start with Twitter. Oh, so it's twitter.com slash John F. Braun for, uh, for that guy over there. Dave Hamilton for this guy over here. Uh, Pilot Pete for the guy who is not here. Mac Geek Gab for our show uh, wide Twitter account. And then also mm-hmm. Mac Observer for the site wide Twitter account. And basically all you're going to get at Mac Observer is the, um, the, the the headlines, the stories, and some people like that. Uh, if you follow Mac Observer Live, that's only used when we do live uh, coverage of Apple and other events, which like we did last Wednesday during the uh, what turned out to be a Steve Jobs uh, uh, speech. 
And uh, and so you can follow that there on Twitter or uh, or visit us at live.macobserver.com when when those events happen. So that's that's Twitter. Mm-hmm. Now you can call us. And John, you have the number, don't you? I found it written <laughs> on, a, etched, etched on a, a wall stone. somewhere. <laughs> I've had it written on a wall in, in a room somewhere. But it's two oh six 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 for a good time or a good podcast called two oh six 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 geek, which is <laughs> four, four three three five. That's great. <laughs> okay. Uh so you can email us to feedback at macgeekgab.com. Uh you can visit the show notes at macgeekgab.com and you can Skype us to Yes, you guessed it. Mac Geek Gab. So that's. Uh, but Dave, I want to make sure you said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I said feedback at MacGeekGab. <laughs> I said it and I meant it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, there was this Apple event and, and there were a couple of things announced. Now, I, there's one thing I want to talk about with iPhone OS 3.1, which uh, which is in some ways a maintenance release and in other ways uh, makes some some cool features available. But one thing is very important to us. And that is, I believe, once and for all, perhaps, the iPhone bug where if you download an AAC uh. version of our podcast, either download into I, into the iPod portion uh, or stream it directly in iTunes, both of them now are fixed uh, so that this issue is no longer, uh, you don't, you can play it like an audio file that it is, you're not stuck dealing with it as though it were a movie, whatever funky stuff Apple was doing that was getting it wrong. They fixed it. Uh, so, and they, they were actually very, very uh, helpful and worked with us on this, but uh, it took a little time obviously for them to, or for the powers that be there to decide, yep, time to roll out at 3.1. So, so we're there. Everything's good on that. I've tested it. Uh, you folks have tested it. We've heard reports. So uh, the world is at peace again now, uh, at least in terms uh-huh. of, at least in terms of that. So it's, you know, a small step. Uh, anything else with iPhone OS 3.1 or should we just dive right into Snow Leopard 1061? Uh, 3.1, did they introduce, uh, it sticks out to me, a uh, remote passcode lock. Little little modification. Okay. Is that is that new? I thought that was in three zero, but but it might have been. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was a three one. They, okay. they actually listed the slide. They listed. Yeah. Um. The other thing I noticed, iPod uh, or iPhone three one. I think this was in iPhone three one. Was fine tuning of the information that you sync back and forth. I think it's partly the OS and partly iTunes. Okay. But I noticed that you could you know sync more specific data by you know certain subcategories than you did before. Got it. Got it. And uh, and while we're at it, and this this dovetails into iTunes nine, which I'm sure we'll talk about at least a little bit. Um, it, the I, I do like the ability to manage the way your apps on your iPhone or iPod Touch are laid out on your Mac because you can grab multiple items. I don't know if you if you uh, folks noticed that, but you yeah. can hold down the Shift key and select multiple items when you've got your iPod or iPhone plugged in select multiple items and move them around from screen to screen and, and, uh, and lay things out there. And then it just sinks back to your, your iPhone. So you're not stuck doing it in the, uh, you know, nervous app, uh, wiggling phase there. So right. Much, much, much better. But let's talk about snow leopard since we are, you know, Mac guys Uh and Mac podcast. Ten six one came out. Now, uh, you said I had a problem with it, and I, I believe you, but I don't remember had, what my problem was. So, well, would I you refresh you me? Mail, I, I do believe you said some mail plugins were not functioning ah. quite as you expected. After, and I'm like, 
Because I had yeah. no problems. It, 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 you know, I'll bring up the page here in a moment. Sure. But no, you're right. That's what you you're mentioned, right. and I think yep. there were fixes. But actually, I'd like to know how that worked out. Okay. So, yeah, this was interesting. And I wound up talking to uh, Scott Morrison at, at InDev, who makes mail act on and mail tags. And then also to, uh, and I can't think of his name. It begins with a K at... Um, uh, no, sorry. It was I guess it was Glenn Aspislaw at uh, at Ecam Networks, uh, who uh, they they both confirmed this because Ecam makes Docstar, which is another mail plugin that I use. And what happened is Apple with Snow Leopard decided, you know, uh, we've had issues where we've done point releases of the OS and minor issues have cropped up with mail plugins, so. What we're doing now is if we push a new version of mail, you have to push a new version of your plugin that adheres to what, you know, that has been tested with and and explicitly in its uh, in its code states, I will work with this new version of mail. Now, for a lot of plugins, it's not going to require any code changes. It's just you got to go in and say, you know, here's the ID of that version of mail. Yes, I've tested it. It works with it. So go ahead and, and take it. And, and all, all in all, it's a good thing, right? Because it uh, it in- ensures that mail plugin developers are staying up to date with this stuff. And uh, and, and so that that's a good thing. So uh, but it, it was it was somewhat disconcerting to, you know, finally have gotten all my mail plugins set up right in mm. 10.6. I mean, it had only been two weeks since this thing was out. And then suddenly this new version, and it breaks them all. It's like, oh, no, you know, but but the fixes came oh. within hours. So, uh, dude, you you should just follow my example and use Eudora and oh. spam sieve. Oh, well, spam- they're actually running better under spam 10.6. Sieve. I think I told you that spam sieve wouldn't have worked either. Oh, oh, it would have worked in Eudora, but not in Mail, because it's a, a plugin that needed to be updated. Right, right. Right. I'm right. telling you, you got to, you know. I'm not going to run Eudora. sometimes works. No, no, no. <laughs> I use IMAP, and Eudora's IMAP functionality know, is flawed at best. Well, actually, I, I, I still do, yeah, the old thing. I know. So anyways, there was, uh, what did I see here? I think they addressed one thing in 10.6.1, which was a little flash security oops. Yes. That's that right. We talked about earlier, but they, yeah. I guess they fixed that. And just uh, minor stuff here. I'm looking. MacWorld has a thing from Ted that uh, talks about some of the uh, yeah little little tweaks here and yeah. there. But uh, it broke a few things for you. It didn't break anything for me. Uh, I didn't notice any big improvements. So no, it you know it sort of worked. Uh, so iTunes nine, the home sharing is an interesting thing. We we're, we can now copy. Uh, files back and forth in iTunes as long as both accounts are authenticated to the same iTunes store account. Now, it's important to note home sharing authentication is separate from your iTunes store authentication. So, for example, my wife and I can have different iTunes store accounts on on our computers that we use. But home sharing is all linked to one one account so that we can move stuff back and forth. Now, you can also set it to move automatically move any purchased content back and forth. Uh, but but it is sort of confusing right. that you know, you're not changing your iTunes store account. You're just changing what account is being used for the home sharing. And it, that, I think that's more a nod to the uh, the record labels saying, yeah, OK, look, we're going to. We're going to let our users do whatever they're going to do with the data because they're doing it anyway. Uh, so we're, we're just going to make it easier because that's what we do. But, you know, they still have to use their <laughs> password. So if you're comfortable giving someone your iTunes store password, well, you know, you're probably comfortable uh, sharing your music with them anyway. So I think, they, I think that's the mentality there. 
but uh, but you do not have to have that in sync with the the password you're actually using in the store and that that's an important mm-hmm. thing for for everyone out there to note anything else before we uh before we kick in the band and i get to go watch the uh, patriots no, there was the uh, the, the nano uh, kind of unexpected. Oh, yeah. I think That's to right. have a, yeah, yeah. because I was really expecting, as maybe you were, if anything got a camera, it would be the touch. But I don't know if there were logistics problems, or as they said, the touch is a perfect little game machine, and we're pretty happy where it's at. I, I personally think, and I hope I don't get you know the uh, you know the Apple uh, <laughs> cops don't come, but uh, I, I just think they they something slipped and they 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 wanted to introduce it on both, but they couldn't. That's just my wild speculation. I don't know. I don't know. You know, um, it it would have had to have slipped a a while ago, right? Because the touch, um, you know, they they revamped the guts of it, right? You know, it's got a faster processor. It's got, I believe it's got more RAM, right? They doubled up the RAM Mm -hmm. on it, right? Yeah, yeah, they're they're improving it. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's like, well, if you're going to do that, you know, you're going to redesign it. You're going to know that the camera's coming and obviously they can fit it in because it's already fit into the, Oh, well maybe they can't fit it in because the touch is a lot thinner. Well, there, there's than the, this than the iPhone in the touch that looks like a camera or right. some of its working should go there or something should go there. Right. I'm still not quite sure what, I don't know. You know, the, the thing is though, I, I don't think Apple initially realized how big of an impact games were going to make on the uh, touch or the, or the iPhone, you know, on that, on the iPhone OS platform, because it, it's huge, you, you know, uh, and, and it, some people say, well, you know, the, the tablet is going to cannibalize the touch. If, if Apple ever comes out with a yeah. tablet and I, I say, no, it, you know, these are people that haven't seen a seven year old boy who wants to hold something very small in his hands. It's either, you know, and I'm talking about right. my son here, but, but my son is, uh-huh is is a classic example and he's you know in this in this respect certainly not unique uh you know he's got his game boy or he's got his iphone and he's you know he has he has our uh, our old iphone so it has no service on it so he essentially has an ipod touch right and and what he does is he you know he wants to have something that he can stick in his pocket and play little games on and uh the cool thing about the the iphone is you know on the game boy if he wants to buy a new game that's, you know, at least a month's worth of allowance, if not two. It, on the iPhone, if he wants to buy a game, it's, you know, less than a week's allowance. He just, yeah, go ahead, Mom. Right. Sure. I'll, two bucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. And they pointed that out. You saw the presentation. Yeah. yeah. They pointed out where games available for, you know, Sony and Nintendo and iPod. And, and then I'm looking at the numbers here. I just happen to have them handy. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what they said, 30 million iPhones have been sold to date, but 20 million iPod Touches have been sold to date. Right. And I'm convinced most people like me don't at this point in my ownership of, you know, that, that type of device, I don't care about the phone yet, but I want all the other cool stuff. It sure. does, and, you know, so it doesn't have GPS, it doesn't have a camera and it doesn't have phone. And that's pretty much the only difference between that and the touch. So. Right. Right. And it works great for me. I love it as a portable terminal. The exchange thing, I've raved about that before. The Wi-Fi, it has Cisco VPN that works on like Snow Leopard, which is <laughs> broken there still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm working with the people at work. So, uh, oh, and the band, the band's oh, here. I, I, yeah, it's nice weather to be uh, out. <laughs> it is. I love this season. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so it's my favorite. All right, so uh, we the, did the info thing. So we don't the, have to the do one thing that I that I hate doing uh, during the fall, and I try my darndest not to travel during September or October. However, in October, I have uh, a, a couple of trips, unfortunately, but we one of one. them. 
is uh, is out to Vegas, which I'm actually looking forward to. The timing is for me, like I said, I'm not, you know, I, I don't like to travel then, but I'm actually excited to uh, to head back out to Vegas this time for Blog World Expo. John, we're going to, we're going to be there to October 15th through 17th. And I believe today is the last day that your 20% off Observer VIP coupon will work. But uh, but try it, and uh, and we'll see the show. I think there's several hours left in today, and we're going to get this MP3 out now. So if you hear this, Observer VIP, uh, and John and I will be there. I don't think as- I used the code, though. You didn't need to, John. It's oh. okay. We, we, get, we, 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 we get our own passes. It's, it's kind of part of the deal. It's okay. It's part of the quid pro quo, if you will. Uh, they yeah. know who we are. Well, yeah, and, and, and we know who they are. So there you go. And we know where they live. That's what it really comes down to, isn't it, right? Uh, iPhonealley.com is uh, a virtual location you can visit, and you don't have to leave your home. Uh, and that's where Michael Johnston spends all of his time when he's not converting this show into AAC for you and for us. Cashfly Hosting provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yo Jimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Text Expander Touch from Smile on My Mac. Notebook from Circus Ponies and Pathfinder 5 from Coco Tech, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network, and we certainly appreciate their sponsorship. Uh, and we appreciate your patronage of them and of us and of everything. It's all good. There's a lot of appreciation to go around, John. And I appreciate that we've got another show and we're pretty much done. And that's a good thing. Yes, we're back. We're back. That's right. And uh, and, and as John said, <laughs> said before, uh, for a good time, call 206-666-GEEK. Which could be four, three, three, five. <laughs> So remember to have fun, take care of your shoes, but don't get caught. Made up.